0: how's everybody doing this morning? That's all right. We might try that again. How's everybody doing this morning? That's a little bit better. All right. As our house lights come up, so hopefully I can see some of your faces. Um, it is good to see you. I am sorry that I was not able to be in attendance at our Valentine's night. Uh, My wife was sick and I was beginning to get sick. And now today I don't feel very good either, but, uh, We'll, we'll get through this morning together one way or the other. It's why my voice sounds kind of the way it does, but uh, I heard it did go great, and um, Quentin called me on Saturday, talked about how much fun it was, and um, I think it'll be something we do a little bit more of. My favorite thing to read about on Facebook from that night was people who posted they had a chance to talk with people that they had seen at church but had never talked to before, and um, you know, when you're a big family like we are, sometimes that happens, you'll There'll be people at a different gathering and different, you know different side of the room that you may never get a chance to meet. And so uh, we're going to do those a little bit more often around here just to give you a chance just to have a fun night out. And um, I hate it that I missed, I, my wife actually um, bought stuff for us to wear with it being 90s night. And um, I was going to wear my white blue jeans to church this morning, but um, since no one found a pair of size 13 Jordans to let me borrow on Facebook, I didn't feel like I had the whole outfit, so maybe next Sunday, we'll see. Um, But it was good to see all of that uh, and see how well that went. Um, We are in week number two of a series called Pray This Way, and uh, I think it's appropriate if we're going to talk about prayer, uh, let's begin with prayer. and um, I'm excited about this morning. I I love this portion of Scripture that we're in, and um, I think that if we'll be careful to listen this morning... Lord will have something he wants to say to us, so let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, um, and Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and mind to hear what you want to say. I pray that, um, that what is said this morning would be divine, that we would hear your heart, that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, we might be compelled to, uh, to listen and to adjust our lives if necessary, and um, God, I just pray that you would teach us something today that, that helps us to walk closer to you. In Jesus' name, uh, Amen. So last week we kicked off kicked off this sermon on prayer, and, um, and and I've been looking forward to this series for quite a while. And one of the things I love, that I just truly love, um, about Scripture is beginning to understand the context of Scripture. I, I grew up just kind of thinking of the Bible as this old book, and uh, and and I didn't think that it was irrelevant. I mean, uh, I didn't think yeah, I didn't think it was irrelevant or or anything like that. I just thought it was old. And, um, and I thought of it as a book. Now, as I've gotten older, what I've realized, maybe you don't know this, be grateful for you this morning to learn, is that the Bible is actually not a book. Um, it's actually a collection of books. It's, a, it's actually 66 different books that make up this one book. Uh, interestingly enough, the Bible, that word doesn't, isn't anything religious or even holy. Uh, in fact, if you have a Bible with you, it might say holy Bible on the front of it. And the reason for that is, is the, the idea of holy being front up means it's a Bible unlike any other Bible. Um, and you might think, well, what are the other Bibles? Well, any collection of books. If you took, you know, if you if you took the writings of any author and put them all into one book, you could really call that a Bible because it's just a collection of books. Uh, but this particular collection of books that we call the Holy Bible, made up of sixty six different books. With all kinds of genres, begins with Genesis, a book that literally means begin. The that, title literally means beginning. Goes through the Revelation, which gives us a glimpse of end times, and all between there are all these genres. I mean, there's the law in the first part of of, of the of the Bible called the Old Testament. There's the books of law. There's there's books that are written by minor prophets and major prophets, and uh, there's works of poetry, but. I think sometimes what I what I really enjoy are the the books that are called the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John, and, and one of the things I like about them that makes them so unique is they're the historical narratives of the days when people were walking and living and and existing and 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 doing things with Jesus, and so you got you got these four books Matthew Mark Luke and John, and and it's, it's these guys who. It witnessed what Jesus did and what he said and and the, the miracles that he performed and they write down they, they eventually chronicle this these historical events they're, they're so they're, they're so amazed at Jesus and the work that he did and then the resurrection further compels them that this story has to be told and so they collect the data and they write you got guys like Matthew who were actually one of Jesus disciples who would have been there to see the miracles that he performed and the sermons that he preached and the things that he said and the way he interacted with people. And he, when he writes his book, he writes the book of Matthew from a very, very Jewish perspective and he presents Jesus as King Jesus. And, and then you got like Luke. It's a very different way that he wrote. Luke did not spend time necessarily with Jesus, but he interviewed maybe dozens, could be hundreds, who knows, eyewitnesses. And he was just ask him, tell me about the things that you saw Jesus do. And after he compiles all of this data, he puts together this book, and he calls it the gospel according to Luke, the good news according to Luke, and it's Luke's findings. And, and you just read the book different when you realize that. Like you, it's not just a book of, in the Bible that the Sunday school teacher told you to read. Now, you know, when we read it, we get, to, we get to think about this guy who was so compelled by Jesus, Who was whose life was so changed by the gospel and the resurrection that that he said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to take time, and I'm going to go, I want to hear these stories from myself, from people who saw it firsthand. Uh, Then there's John, the the gospel according to John. And this is a guy who's a disciple of Jesus, who he found his identity in being loved by Jesus. All throughout the book, he never calls himself John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he writes this book, this this narrative, this, this historical account of Jesus from the perspective of a disciple who finds his identity in being loved by Jesus. And so when you read it, that's, that's why you find verses like John three sixteen, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten sons because it's written from the perspective of a, of a guy who his entire life was changed by Jesus' compassion. And the interesting thing is when we go through those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we, and we look at the stories, and we look at the miracles, and we look at the sermons, and we look at Jesus' behavior, the adventures of the disciples, the, the response of the culture. Only one time in all of those documents do we find where the disciples come to Jesus and directly ask, them, ask him to teach them something specific. I mean, you don't see them coming and saying, hey, Lord, teach us how to preach a sermon. And there were plenty of sermons, plenty of sermons. I mean, in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we see the Sermon on the Mount. That in that one sermon, that one sermon became like 30 sermons at life point 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, we, we stayed in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 so long at life point that my sticky note on that page in my Bible ripped a hole. In it. Like, I don't even have a Matthew 5 anymore in that particular Bible because we stayed there so long. And yet, you don't see the disciples come back and go, Jesus, that was an amazing sermon. And into into the future, churches will spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at what you said, teach us how to preach like that. You don't see them say that. You don't see them after miracles like maybe the feeding of the 5,000 or raising the dead or causing the blind to see or the deaf. You don't see them come up to them and go, now, Jesus, that right there, that was awesome. Teach us how to do that. You don't see them ever doing that. The thing that you see them asking about is found in the book of Luke, chapter 11. And as Luke is compiling his data from eyewitnesses, the thing that he begins to say, the thing he shares with us is that there was this day that Jesus was praying in a certain place. Notice that whoever's telling Luke this, if they remembered the place, it wasn't even important. By all regards, we don't even know if they knew where Jesus was. They don't, I mean, they're telling this story maybe 20, 30, 40 years later to Luke. And they might, it appears though they don't even remember where it was. They're like, man, there was this one time Jesus was praying somewhere. I don't even remember where he was at. And when he finished, one of his disciples, they don't even necessarily remember which disciple. This guy, we all got together and, you know, he drew the short straw and was we like, go talk to Jesus. And one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. The thing that the disciples wanted to know how to do, more than they wanted to know how to teach, and more than they wanted to know how to preach, and more than they want to know how to do miracles, more than they want to know how to love people like Jesus loved, they looked at his life and said, we want to pray like you pray. Which is ironic to me, by the way, because it's amazing to me that Jesus even prayed at all. Just, just being honest. If we believe Scripture to be true, and around here we do, then we believe things like when John tells us in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. We believe that to be true, that Jesus is actually God. He was God in the flesh. Why did Jesus feel compelled to talk to himself? Like if there's ever been a person who didn't need to pray, think about that, it's Jesus. If there's ever been a person on on earth that has ever lived that was like, I mean, I technically don't have to pray because I am God. It would be Jesus. And yet, when the disciples looked at his life, the thing that they wanted to learn from him, is, Lord, we want to know how to pray. And I think, I think I know why. I think it's because most of the stories that we remember, if for any of you that maybe grew up in Sunday school, all the great stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you look really closely, almost every single one of them, The feeding of the 5,000 that we hear about. These big time, Jesus does remarkable stuff. The Sermon on the Mount. If you look really closely, what you'll find is they often come on the heels of Jesus spending time alone with his Father in prayer. And I think eventually the disciples begin to put together some things and they're like, there is something to be said about the way Jesus prays and the way God works after Jesus prays. I think the disciples began to look at that, and they said, Lord, we, we want to know something. The thing we want to know is how do we pray? And I love that Jesus, without hesitation, gives an answer, and he says, well, if you want to know how to pray, pray then like this. And he gives them a template. He gives them a guide. I mean, if you're the type A personality in the room today, and you're like, hey, I just want to be able to, like, I, I've got a notebook. I want you to teach me how to do this. Like, I, I love, we got... I've been missing our, our girls on the front row for the last few weeks. We've had some of them doing some, some something. I don't know. Y'all ain't been here, maybe been in the back. I don't know what the story is. Your parents ain't bringing you to church or something. That's what has been going on. Anyway, they always taking notes up here. My note takers. Like you all ought to be ashamed that doing you know less than what they're doing. But anyway, I love it because we've got some type A people that like, hey, give me some, no- give me a guide. Give me a guy, and then if you're like me, and you're not necessarily the organized person, but you know how hard it is to pray. For guys like me, it's like I, I need I need a template. I need I need something because I, I know for me, maybe maybe this is not you, but for me, prayer is hard. You know, we we do this uh, prayer thing around here three times a year, where we pray for we all take an hour, and we pray for 160 hours, eight hours straight, a whole week. It's coming up again in a couple of in about a month from now. We're going to do it again as we get ready for Easter. I know that just wrecked some of your world that you realized that I just helped you realize that Easter's just around the corner, Um, but we're going to do it again. I'll I'll be honest with you. Every time I get that text that says your hour starts in 10 minutes, I get just a little bit of anxiety. I'm like, oh boy, because I know how it's going to go, all right? And some of you are this way, and I'm just being honest, like, you would like to think that your pastor has this under control. Like, I can go and sit and pray for eight or ten hours. Let me just tell you what the honest thing is. I will pray, and I'm like I'm like zoned in. I can pray for everything that I that I can think of that needs prayer. And I'm like, boy, that was awesome to spend time with the Lord. Man, that felt like, I mean, I have definitely been praying an hour, and I checked my watch, and I've only got 58 minutes to go, you know? And so for those of us like that, I mean, It's great to know that that when when the Lord was asked to teach us to pray, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you you a guide. And he says, this is how you start. He says, our Father in heaven. If you were here last week, you heard this. Um, he, He just begins by saying, let me tell you what I want you to do. When you pray, when you think about God, you understand that the name that should come easy to your lips is the name Father. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. He says, let the name, when you, when you begin, this is so amazing to me, so amazing to me. It's such a thought is that, is that Jesus, when you start to pray, when you begin in prayer, understand that you are praying to the God of the universe. You're praying to the God that, and this is just remarkable to me, that scripture says that he flung the stars into space. And he named them. And that's just remarkable to me, because, you know, like, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you ever go out at night, and you look up, have you seen how many stars there are in a night sky? Like, think about this, does anybody know, do you know how many stars are in our solar system? Anybody know that? One, just one. That was a trick question. Just one. It's just the sun. That's why it's called a solar system. There are billions in our universe. Now, think about this, what this means, that every star you see has a, univ- has a solar system like ours more than likely. That's what we can assume. We can't even understand our solar system that has one star in it. We we can't even comprehend it. You you know how I know that? Because we can't even figure out if Pluto's a planet or not. (laughs) Some days it is, some days it's not, some days it's a dog, we don't know. Just Pluto, we don't know. And that's just right here in our solar system. And then there's billions of those. And the thing that we can't even wrap our head around, the Bible says that God just flung into space like gravel in a driveway that I would throw up into the air. I mean, it's just the stars, this thing that we don't even understand. God God had the capacity to imagine flinging it into space and give them all a name, and yet that God that is that big and that amazing, the same God that Scripture says that every knee, that has ever lived and is living now and will live, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that Jesus is the Christ to the glory of the Father. That God, that none stands above and none stands beside, says, when you come and talk to me, when you come and talk to me, I want the name that comes easily to your lips to be the name Father. I want you to come to me as though I'm your daddy, that loves you, that's close enough to care about what you're going through, was big enough to do something about it. And the question becomes, well, so when we come to the Father, what do we talk to him about? I mean, can you imagine, maybe if you're a sports fan, you get a chance to talk to your favorite coach or your favorite player, and you know that's going to be happening. Imagine, like, you got to be thinking about, I'm going to have a few minutes to talk to whoever. What am I going to say? Well, imagine... God gives us the opportunity to come and talk to the greatest of the the God of the universe. And the question we should be asking is, what am I supposed to say when I come to talk to God? And Jesus answered the question in the next phrase when he says our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus would say when you come to talk to the Father, talk to the Father about the Father. i got to be honest with you, if I were to survey my, my prayer life, We were to go back to the age of 17 when I gave my life to Jesus and we were to take inventory of every prayer since that point. I got to be honest with you. I'm afraid that most of my prayers are me talking to the Father about other stuff more than I'm talking to the Father about the Father. But yet when Jesus says, if you really want to know how to pray, disciples, if you really want to know how to engage with God... He said, the first thing is you come to God as though he's your father, and then you talk to the father about the father. And he says, what you say to him is, hallowed be your name. And here's the thing, I don't necessarily want you to go home and you be like, well, that's simple. I can just start repeating that. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's more than the words. It's the template. It's the context. You see, when Jesus says to the disciples, "You tell you, when you talk to the Father about the Father, you say to him, hallowed be your name. The idea of hallowed, is the, it, that word gets its root word from the word holy. The word holy means set apart, different. It's like, remember earlier when we were talking about the Bible, and I said a Bible is just a book, but your Bible says holy Bible. It's a book set apart. It's a different kind of book. It's the book that contains the words of God. In the same way, when we think, see the word hallowed, be your name, Lord, what, what, what we're saying when we pray to that is this. We're saying, God, I'm acknowledging that you are different and you are other than me. That, that, that your name is a name to be revered. Your name is higher than my name. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. It's, it's the idea that this is what we're saying. When we come to the Father and we talk to the Father about the Father and we say, hallowed be your name, this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, help me to understand that in my prayers and in my life, be God to me. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. Be God to me. In my, in my prayer and in my life, let God be God. He said, man, that that's not really revolutionary. Sure it is. You see, if you were to think about your prayers, think about this, how many times do your prayers indicate that you really don't understand the character of God. And you may think, what are you talking about, Matt? Well, you see, when I think about how I pray, I oftentimes pray as though God is an uninformed, uninterested, naive, long way off being in the universe that I have to summon his attention by my behavior. I mean, I'll pray things like like this. You ever done this? Like, you know, you try to be a better prayer as if God can be impressed by your words. Like, I grew up in a church that you had to end every prayer the same way. It went like this. You were supposed to say, and Lord, lead, guide, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you ever heard a lead, guide, and direct prayer? I know you have. Have you ever wondered, why do we say lead, guide, and direct? Is it because we want God to know we own a thesaurus? They mean the same thing. If you're being led, you're being guided and you're being directed. So either you think that God needs to be impressed with your vocabulary or that somehow by saying it three times, it's like Beetlejuice and he'll show up. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It's like, why do we say things like that? Or this is what we say. This is what my prayers sound like. Hey, God, I just want to kind of tell you about what's going on. I had a particularly rough week this week. Why do I feel compelled to tell God that? I, I, I'm a, <laughs> I think he knows. You know what I mean? It's like, but I need to tell him, hey. And this is what we're really saying when we pray this way. All kidding aside, it's what we're really saying. God, you're just really not acting the way I want you to act. So I'm going to try to manipulate you because you're apparently a naive God. So maybe you'll be impressed with the way I pray. Or we pray as though we're a three-year-old. You know what three-year-old prayers sound like? We just keep asking over and over and over and hoping we can annoy God long enough that he finally goes, yes! Yes! Yes, you can have a sucker. I don't care anymore. In fact, choke on it. <laughs> You've thought it. But that's how we'll pray sometimes. We're like, if we just say it long enough, and we say it often enough, maybe we can manipulate God into prayer. Let me tell you what kind of praying that is. That is prayers that has no emphasis on the fact that God's name is different and that he is hallowed, he is holy, he is other than me. His ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And so what Jesus is trying to emphasize to us is that, is that once you realize that the God of the universe invites you to have into a conversation, but he wants the name that comes easily to your lips to be the name Father. Because once you know who you're praying to, then talk to him about him. Talk to the Father about the Father. That praise ought to be the forefront of our prayers. Lord, your name is greatly to be praised. Lord, I want to to wrap my mind around the fact that, that though I am made in your image, you are still other than me. Because God, if I can acknowledge that you are God, then the next reasonable conclusion is that I am not. And if you're God and I am not, then I've got to be able to trust you. And Lord, I'm going to have a hard time trusting because I don't always like what happens. But God, I can't see but just the small picture. I can't see the big picture. And so Lord, in my prayers and in my life, let me live as though you're God and I'm not God and that I'm not God and you are God. Lord, be, be magnified in my life. Be glorified in my life. Let, let my life indicate that I believe you to be the God of the universe. Let my behavior indicate that I believe that you are God and I am not. Let your name be hallowed. And I love this, that that Jesus says, hallowed be your name. You know, in in ancient Israel, and probably still in Israel today, names matter. You know, we we have a different perspective on names, I think. At least I do. Like when when Jennifer got pregnant with Jalen, and then eventually with Jaren, and we, we were trying to figure out the name thing. You know, the way we named our kids is not the way that people name their kids in ancient in ancient Israel. I mean, here here's what here was our thought pattern, just so you know. I mean, I, I know you want to be impressed with me as your pastor. And and there, there was definitely a spiritual aspect to how we named our kids. Um, Jennifer gets pregnant, and right, we gotta think about a name. And I'm like, well, between your family and my family, there's Jennifer, Jason, John, Jimmy, Joanna, and Joseph thinking we gotta go with a J. That's step one. Thirty-eight names with J are taken. There's four left, right? So then we're like, then this is this is a true story, by the way. I want to have we we're gonna have to have a J name. Which, by the way, if we got young parents in the room or no parents, or you're just youngly married, whatever, and you're thinking about having kids, do your kids a favor. Don't give them the same. Don't give them a name with the same letters, right? You know what happens when you do that? They get called their brother or sister all their whole life. Both of my boys are Jalen and Jaron. doesn't matter which one I'm talking to. They both need to answer because who knows which one I'm really talking to, right? But we knew we had to have a J name. So Jennifer's pregnant with our first son. We got to have a J name. This is the way I figured it out. You might think I went to the Bible trying to see what God would have me name him. I did not. This is what I did. I imagined myself standing on third base coaching baseball. I imagined my son being in the batter's box, and I said, which name sounds great? So I started going through names. Eventually, I was like, here we go, Jalen, give me a hit. And I went, oh, that's it. <laughs> that works. Jalen, it is. It's just the way it went. And then as he gets older, I changed his name. I nicknamed him Jabbo, called him Jabbo his whole life. It didn't even matter what his real name was. <laughs> Jaron comes along, got to have a J name. Jason's taken, change one letter, make it Jaron. Our entire intent was this for the rest of his life, I won't even have to spell his name to everybody. So nobody gets it right the first time. Like, how's your son Jared doing? I didn't know I had a son named Jared. Jared's doing wonderful. <laughs> right? It's just the way we named him. Named Jalen. Jalen's middle name is Matthew, named after me. I guess you picked up on that. Jared's middle name is Alexander. You're like, what does that mean? Oh, it's awesome. It's got this like history of, of like importance. Sean Alexander was like running the football in Alabama and he was born in Alexander City. I was like, why not? because it just wasn't a lot of thought, right? But in ancient Israel, here's what the name was. The name signified your capacity, your potential, the expectation of your parents. Sometimes names got changed. Like there was this one guy in Scripture, you may have never heard of him, maybe you have. His name was Cephas. And when Jesus met him, He'd probably lived up to his name. He was a lot like shifty sand. But Jesus looked at him and said, your potential and your capacity is so much better. So much more. He said, you don't need to be Cephas. He said, i tell you what you are. You are rocky. And he named him Peter. Stands for the rock. The granite. He's like, you're going to be like a piece of granite. Now, now did he live up to it? Eventually. There were times when he was so scared. and He was so little like a rock. So, le- so less than being granted that to a servant girl who kept the door, he actually betrayed his Savior. But eventually, on the, on, he was the one that Jesus looked at and said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because what's in a name defines your capacity and your potential. And Jesus says, when you pray, the name that should come easily to your lip is Father. And when you talk to the Father you talk to him about the Father, and you say to him, your name, your name is set apart. Your name is different. Your name is better. Your name is higher. Your name is greater. And he's the God that lives up to the capacity of his name and the potential of his name. That it's it's immeasurable. He is the God that can't be contained. That's why his name is hallowed. We can't put him in a box. We can't define him to perfection because Every word in our language falls short of his glory and his majesty. And so we're instead of being able to say, this is who you are, we just say, you're different, you're other, you're better, you're higher. Hallowed is your name. And see, if I was giving you a bottom line this morning, I will. I would say this, that when you pray, focus on who you need more than what you need. You see, it's an interesting thing. I was talking with Todd before the first service. We met in my office and we just sat in there and we were talking this morning. And I said, You know, Todd, when when I pray, particularly if I'm going to pray for a long period of time, I always follow the template of the Lord's Prayer. It's just something I do um, because Jesus said, Pray this way. It just seems to make sense to me. And I said, Let me tell you something I find to be interesting. I said, Typically, before I'm going to pray, like in our 168 prayer time, um, I will get on Facebook or I just get out a notebook, whichever combinations of of them, and I'll say to people, "Hey, I'm going to be praying. Is there anything I can pray for you about?" And I'll write down my own prayer needs, things in my family, whatever, people's prayers, and I know I'm going to get to that at some point. But as I begin to pray and I begin to, and I start off with. Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, who loves me enough that I can call him Dad. He's close enough to be Father and big enough to care, and he's Heavenly Father. And I begin to pray that. and I begin to spend time saying, "Lord, I, I want to hallow your name. I want your name to be hallowed. In my life, and in my prayers, God, be God to me. And I begin to begin to recognize areas of my life where maybe I'm not allowing God to be God in that area. And I find myself going, Lord, help me, help me, give you the rightful place on the throne of my life. And I begin to pray that. Eventually, I, we move on from "Hallowed be Your name," and I say, "Lord, Your kingdom come, Your will be done." And we'll talk about that next week. I begin to say, "Lord, I want Your will and not my will. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day." And, and eventually, eventually, I get to the "Give us this day" part. And suddenly, all the things that I thought that I needed to talk about seemed to be so much less important. because if I can ever understand the nature of God being father, compared and partner, complemented with the fact that He is hallowed, it changes the way I pray because of who I'm praying to. And as I begin to understand that he is a good father who wants good things for his children. When I begin to understand that the difficulties of my life, He is the good shepherd that cares. He is the gate. And that nothing gets to me that hasn't gotten through Him first. When I begin to understand that He never leaves me and He never forsakes me, suddenly who I pray to affects what I pray for. When you pray, focus on who you need more than what you need. Now the band's about to come out. And we're going to give you a little chance to practice what we preach around here. Uh, I'm wrapping up a little sooner than I normally do. And, and we may sing a couple of songs because I think that praise is what this part of the prayer is talking about. It's a chance just to focus our attention on the Lord. And, and as they're coming out, I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I was thinking, who understands this? Who did this well? And I began to think about a guy in Scripture that you may be familiar with. His name is Job. If there's anything that Job understood, it was difficulty. He lost his whole family. He, he, his, his children died. His, he lost his livestock. He lost his wealth. He lost his job. He ends up in a place around Job 39 where he's just sitting in ashes and sackcloth, just a shell of who he once was. And after 39 chapters... A friend's telling him, why don't you just curse God and die? He finally gets to a place where he's like, I don't know what else to do. And he just says to God, he basically in a prayer goes, God, I don't understand why you're doing all this. And I love the way God answers. In in Job chapter 40, it says that that Job says, that God says to Job, it says, out of a whirlwind... (laughs) So God doesn't just answer with a voice, He sends a tornado. Right? Out of the tornado, Job hears this. He hears God say, Job, gird yourself like a man. I'm gonna ask you some questions, and you're gonna answer. And God begins to ask Job questions like this Job, where were you? Where were you, Job, when I when I put all of this into motion? Where were you when I separated? the night from the day and called the night dark and the day day where were you when when i told the ocean hey this is as far as you can come so you can come to here and no further ocean where were you job when i put behemoth when i created behemoth and put him in the swamp and uh, you're terrified of him i'm the one who made him where were you can you by the way job can can you hook leviathan by the mouth as I did that, Job, and one by one, doesn't answer Job's question directly. He shows Job who he is. He points Job to the fact that his name is hallowed. And I want to show you Job's response to him. In Job chapter 42, it says, then Job answered the Lord. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Translation, I opened my mouth when I should have opened my ears. He said, hear and I'll speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And this is my favorite thing. I want you to hear this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He says, now now i got a picture of who you are, God. I'd heard about you. I kind of understood you, but now I've seen you. I know what you're like. I understand the hallowed is your name. And look at the response. He says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When we see God as God, we realize that we are not. It puts us in a position of humility to where God can do something in our life that is significant. You want to see God move in your life? You want to see God do something significant with you? You learn to pray this prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, thank you. That just when we need it, at just the right moment, you give us a glimpse of who you are. So Lord, now let us worship you in a way that brings a smile to your face. In Jesus' name.